Our reading this morning is from John 15, verses 1 and 4 and 5. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither you, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. I hope you're well together this morning. Um, I wish I could be with you, but I'm sick and I don't want to get you sick. So uh, we're just going to have to do our best like we are this morning and just kind of roll with the punches because uh, this pandemic's not over. Uh, coronavirus is not uh, going away anytime soon. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just do our best uh, like we are. Um, appreciate your pa- your patience. Um, this might be a little bit weird uh, at the start, but I promise you, um, uh, it'll feel more normal as we get as we go along. So I, I truly believe that that God still ha- has something significant for us, for you this morning. Um, even though I'm not with you physically, um, uh, I, I truly believe His Spirit uh, can and will be at work this morning. So that's my prayer for us. Um, every autumn, we usually do this series called Family Traits. Um, which is essentially this this series where we we look at what it means to be part of this specific church family. Um, it's kind of the DNA series. W- what makes village village, and how is that rooted in the Bible? Um, and we've kind of used that series to do different things over the last few years. Um, one year we looked at kind of taught our way through our our core values. And um, one year we looked at uh, those kind of three spheres of our church: gospel, community, and mission. Um, and this year. We're going to take the next six weeks to, to kind of refocus uh, again on this, this three-year vision, these three goals um, that hopefully you've heard us talk a lot about over the last year. Um, and you might be thinking, well, why are we just starting this now if we're a year in? Um, well, we're not just starting it now. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work. We've been talking a lot about it. Hopefully you're familiar with these, these three goals and we've been doing a lot of kind of groundwork on them. Um, so we're not just starting now. We're just taking this as an opportunity to, to refocus again and, and to, to teach on them a, a little bit more. Um, just a little bit of background as to why we even have uh, this kind of three-year, three goals. Um, you really have to back up to uh, about a year and a half ago where our, our elders were away for the day together and we were uh, kind of planning and, and talking and, and praying. And we were looking ahead and we knew that the next couple of years uh, was going to be there's going to be a lot of change for our church. We were about to enter into a, a season of, of change and transition. Um, at that point, we knew uh, that Lucas was about to move. So Lucas, our church planter, our founding pastor, um, we we knew that he was about to move back to America. And um, we also knew that we were kind of in this process of of tweaking our leadership structure. Um, our, our, we knew where our staff roles were about to kind of shift and change a little bit. And we're in the process of, of hiring another staff member. Um, so we kind of knew that we were entering into this season, uh, not of chaos and upheaval, but just of change and transition. And so we wanted to have some goals. We wanted to have a, a kind of vision that our church community could, could kind of rally around. And, and as we made our way through a couple years of change and transition, these things were something that we could always come back to and, and kind of work towards together give us a little bit of focus, a bit of a vision. Um, so that's why we have them. That's the kind of background of these three goals. 
Um, they fall in line with our, our three spheres of, of gospel, community, and mission. Um, and, and over the next six weeks, we're just going to refocus on them again. We're going to take two weeks on each goal. Um, I, I don't have time to give you a big, massive introduction and kind of overview of them. Um, uh, but the first two weeks, we're going to uh, we'll look at this, this goal of learning to abide in Jesus. What does it mean to practice the presence of God? Uh, the two weeks after that, we'll, we'll look at how we can grow in generosity and why that's important and why that's uh, important for our church family, our community. Uh, and then the, the final two weeks, we'll, we'll look outwards and, and focus on mission uh, and sharing Jesus with our city. Um, but this morning, we're going to start by, by looking at abiding in Jesus, um, which is really our starting point for all that we do as individual Christians and, and a wider uh, church community. Um, in fact, there's, there's no way to accomplish those, the other two goals or really anything in our life unless we learn to do this first, unless we learn to abide in Jesus daily. Because being with Jesus, communing with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus is really our starting point for all that we do. Um, I just want to confess that at first, um, when I first sat down to plan out these two weeks, um, I felt this kind of immense pressure on myself. Um, and I, I confess even my pride started to, to kind of twinge a little bit um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because my role has changed uh, over the last year. So the elders have kind of given me this, this role of pastor for teaching alongside Alan and, and spiritual formation. And, and, and abiding in Jesus is really the foundation for all spiritual formation. And so this is kind of meant to be my wheelhouse. This is, this is what I'm meant to be pushing our church deeper into. Um, but also, this is also something that the Lord has really been pressing on my heart for, for years now. Um, kind of on and off in different ways for about 20 years, but, but really intensely for the past six or seven. Um, so I just felt this pressure to be able to paint this perfect picture for our church um, to concisely communicate what it means to abide in Jesus. Uh, here's how to practice the presence of God and to do that in two sermons. Um, I took that to the Lord and, and actually quite quickly, I just felt him just kind of say, relax, because it's not possible. <laughs> Teaching people to abide in, in Jesus, it's not even something that, 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 that I've mastered and it's not something that is possible to, uh, to kind of teach in two weeks. Um, it's a lifelong endeavor. Um, so instead, I felt Jesus just saying, just bring them to me. Just, just, just point them to me again. And so that's my prayer. Um, my prayer uh, really from then on was just, Lord, give me two sermons to just kind of fan the flame in our people's hearts again. Give me, give me two sermons, two weeks to just kind of stoke the fire in our people's lives of just wanting to be with you. Just, just, just give us the, the desire to, to start, to just want to be with you. And so that's my goal over the next two Sundays. Um, I just want to point you to Jesus again. Um, over the next two Sundays, I want you to, to see the importance of abiding in Jesus. Um, I, I want you to see that it's actually the only way forward for God's people. Um, I want you to know that, that, that this life of being aware of God's presence kind of moment by moment through your day, that's not just something for the spiritually elite. It's not something just for like super Christians. It's for all of us. Um, and I want you to realize that a, a life of daily abiding in Jesus, it's actually the only way for you to get what you truly want out of life. And um, that's my goal over the next two Sundays. 
Um, this first week, I'm just going to try to give a biblical foundation of abiding in Jesus. What, it, what do we mean when we say these words? What, is, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Um, uh, why are we called to it? Um, I want to show you that it's for everybody, not just for the spiritual elite. Um, and then we'll have a quick look at what Jesus says about it. Um, and then hopefully next week, we'll look at some examples and um, some, some kind of practical stuff, some habits that we can uh, incorporate into our life. Um, let me pray for us one more time before we dig in. Um, Heavenly Father, you are holy. Um, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, but we thank you that you love us anyways. Um, we just pray that you would give us your wisdom that, that comes down from above, that you would do that this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work, um, that, that you would be teaching this morning and, and opening hearts in a way that only you can do. Stir our affections uh, much more this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so if I had to put into to words what this first goal is, because it's, it's, it's been the one that's been the hardest to kind of state what it is. If I had to put it into words, it would be this, that we'd learn to practice the presence of God deeper or better in every facet of our lives. So may, I'll say it again, that we would learn to practice the presence of God better in every facet of our lives. Um, let me explain a little bit more. What do we mean by practice the presence of God? Um, by practice, I mean that we learn to discern and to develop habits of awareness of God's presence. That we would learn to discern and develop habits of awareness of God's presence. Um, if not all day, every day, which is our goal, at least a little bit more than what we're doing now. Just a little bit more than, than most of us are typically doing right now. So we want to learn to, to practice His presence, to be aware of God's presence, to develop habits that, that, that bring us back to awareness of His presence. And to do that, not just on Sundays, not, not just uh, in specific times of your days, but all day. That's the goal. Um, and you'll hear different phrases that we use for this to kind of describe this, and they basically all mean the same. So you'll hear uh, practice the presence of God or abiding in Christ, abiding with Jesus, remaining in Christ, walking with God, keeping in step with the Spirit. Those are all Bible phrases. They're all phrases we use, and they all mean the same thing. Um, and really the Bible makes it crystal clear why we are called to live in this way. Um, in fact, Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, without abiding in him, we will accomplish nothing of lasting value. He says, without abiding in him, we can accomplish nothing of lasting value. You see, sometimes Jesus speaks kind of mysteriously. Sometimes he kind of speaks in, in parables, but he doesn't hear. It's almost like it's important that you don't miss this one. Without abiding in him, you can do nothing. He's, he's saying, without being connected to him, we won't be able to live the life that God wants you to live. Without being connected with him, we won't be able to, to live the life that you were created for. Without staying connected with him, you also won't get what you most want out of life. In some ways, it seems quite simple, doesn't it? Um, but here's the big obstacle is we live in a world that clamors for every bit of your attention. 
Um, I don't know if I can say that humans are busier than we've ever been at any point in human history, but I'm pretty confident to say that we're more distracted than we've ever been in human history. The, the world is, is actually paying billions in order to, to steal your attention, to, to capture your affections. Every minute of your waking day, this world is clamoring for your attention. And it's loud, it's incessant, and if we're honest, it usually wins. And if you've, you've grown up in church at all, here's the answer that's been put before you. Um, we've been taught that as Christians, our main line of defense against this distracting, attention-grabbing world is a daily quiet time. And if only we're, we, we could be disciplined enough to carve out these quiet times, which are generally at the, the beginning of your day, before we head out into the world for the rest of our day, then we'll, we'll, we'll be able to stay faithful to Jesus. And, and on one level, I wholeheartedly agree that a quiet time with the Lord in, in prayer and time in the scripture is absolutely essential. You will not be able to abide in him without that, but it's not enough. A, a daily or a morning quiet time is not enough and it's also not the life that you've been called into. When Jesus, what Jesus has called you to do is to abide with him and to remain there. Come to him and, and stay there. That's what that word abide means. It means to stay, to remain, to, to dwell, to make this your home. And so here's my proposal. Here, here's, here's our goal again that we would learn to take our lives with God, that, that, that awareness of his presence, our communion, our fellowship with Jesus, that we'd learn to take that with us everywhere. So our, our abiding with him, it's not something that we just do in kind of quiet or special times. It's also for our noisy times. It's for the ordinary parts of our day. It's for when you're making breakfast. It's for when you're getting ready for work. It's for when you're trying to get your kids out the door for school. It's for when you're at work. It's for when you're, you're, you're disciplining your, your kids or putting them to bed. If you don't have kids, it's for when you're, you're getting ready for that date or when you're, it's, it's, that, it's for when you're going out with the girls on, the night, on a night out. Well, we're talking about the, the noisy, the ordinary moments of your day. We're, we're talking about incorporating practices into our life that help keep us aware of his presence every step through your day. That's what Jesus has called you into. And I want to make it clear that, that this is for all of us. It's for all of you. He's calling for, for all of us to remain in him. This is, this is for, for everyone, no matter of your spiritual, what, what kind of level your spiritual maturity is at. So, so if, you're, if you're a brand new Christian... Maybe you're saying, John, I just accepted Jesus into my life. This is for you. Like, like please learn to, from the get-go how to abide in Jesus, how to, how to practice the presence of God all day, every day. Learn to do that now. Or maybe you've been in church for years, um, and, and maybe you've, you've just kind of drifted away over time, and, and you just feel this tug on your heart to rekindle your relationship with God. I know what that's like. Um, or, or maybe you've been in church for years and you've, you've never learned how to abide in Jesus. This is for you. This is, this is how you will rekindle your relationship with God. Or, or maybe you're a mature believer and you already feel close to God. 
This is for you, brother or sister, because we will never be finished drawing near to God. We, we will be mining the depths of his love for all of eternity. So just like with any good friend, with any relationship, there's, there's always new ways of, get, of drawing closer to the Lord, of, of, of getting to know him more. So this is for you. This is for all of you. I want to teach each and every person here to realize that abiding with Jesus daily, becoming more aware of God's presence moment by moment through your day, it's something that, that you need, but it's also something that you can have. The, 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 this way of life is possible for every person in the room this morning. Here's the lie. Uh, it, that, the lie is that this idea of, of living with this moment-by-moment moment intimacy and, and awareness of God's presence is just for the, the kind of super mature, the, 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 the super spiritual Christians. Friend, you need to realize that that is a lie from the devil because the truth is that, that this way of life, of a daily abiding with Jesus, of practicing the presence of God throughout your day, it's actually an innate capacity that every follower of Jesus has and can, can, and can cultivate. But here's, and, and here's why that's true, uh, is because from the time a person puts their faith in Jesus, from the time a person believes and kind of transfers their, their trust onto Jesus, God puts his Holy Spirit into every believer. And that spirit is now available to us every second of every day. 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, Paul asks the question to the Corinthian church, do you not know that you are now God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? That's the spirit I want to, uh, that's the question I want to ask you uh, the same this morning. Don't you know you are, the, you are a temple? You are a holy place where God's spirit abides. How, how can you possibly think that living uh, with the awareness of him day by day is, is somehow impossible? It's not impossible. It's something that every believer has the capacity for. But the truth is um, that, that most of us live largely unaware of his divine presence and to our own detriment, to our own impoverishment, and often, and more than that, uh, out, of the, out of this risk of being disobedient to the commands of Jesus. Um, so if you've, if you've ever thought, man, I just hate my sin, I, I'm just so fed up with my sin and the way it gets in the way of, of me being obedient to Jesus, I just wish I could follow him better. All that practical stuff that we looked at in James about being a doer of the word, I just wish I could sin, stop sinning long enough in order to follow through with those things. And let me just say, if you've ever had those thoughts, uh, well, firstly, that's, that's a great desire to have. Um, in fact, that, that desire for holiness is a gift. It's, it's, it's actually, uh, you need to be aware that it's the grace of God that, that there's the reason you feel that way. Um, thank God that he's given you those desires. But please hear me when I say that the next step, that the answer to those desires is not, well, I just need to try harder then. If only I could just work harder. If only I could just figure this out and try harder. Listen to me. The answer to becoming more obedient to Jesus is not to try harder. The answer is to be with him more. That, that's what Jesus says in John 15, right? 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's, what's the, the kind of opposite or the positive way you could say that? He's saying, you want to do something? You, you want to bear fruit? Then be with me. Then stay with me. That's how you'll do it. That, that's actually the only way that you will do it. The answer to becoming more obedient is not to try harder. The answer is to be with Jesus more. And it's not just for the spiritually elite. It's for all followers of Jesus. And there's, there's plenty of examples we can look to for this, this way of life. Um, but one of my personal heroes is, is Brother Lawrence. And if you don't know him, uh, he was, uh, well, he, he, uh, now a well-known Frenchman who lived in the 17th century. Um, and the, the example, the reason he's a great example is because he wasn't a famous pastor. He, he wasn't this, this great scholar, this great theologian with lots of uh, f- a following or anything like that. He was a dishwasher. He was a cook in a monastery kitchen. And he learned to, to cultivate this life of being continually aware of God's presence. And the result of that is he experienced so much joy and so much peace in God's presence that, that people were just drawn to him. Um, and he, he didn't, even from then, he didn't become this famous uh, Christian in his day and a big, huge following. He just, he just attracted people and he mentored them in his lifetime. Um, and he kept this journal of his life experiences, which uh, after he was dead, uh, was eventually made into this small book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, and, and in that book, you read of this, this humble man who came to the point of, as he wrote, keeping his mind uh, in, in his holy presence, keeping his mind in God's holy presence and recalling that as often as he found it wandering from him. So he, 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 kept these, he, he came to the point of keeping his mind in God's holy presence. And whenever he felt himself wandering from that, he would recall that again. He, he developed this, this, hap, this uh, habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. That this, this conversation of his soul with God, this, this praying without ceasing, that he, this conversation was ongoing as he went about his, his kind of normal day, just his business. Which was, which was doing dishes, which was working in the kitchen, making meals for people. And he considered that, that normal time, that ordinary stuff, just as sacred, just as holy as if he were kneeling in prayer in the cathedral. So his, soul, his goal was, whatever he was doing, whether it be kneeling in quiet time in prayer or in a worship gathering or simply washing dishes in a noisy kitchen, his goal was always to be aware of God's presence and to enjoy that communion with the Lord. And so he had this prayer that he'd pray uh, while he was working in the kitchen. He'd pray, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. So he had this, <laughs> this incredibly simple way of living, but it was incredibly deep and profound and it changed his life and it changed the life of those around him. Um, and this kind of deep yet simple way of life, um, it followed the, the tradition of the Benedictine monks, monks of uh, the 5th and 6th century. They had this saying, ora et labora, 
work and play, work and pray. The idea was to, to work while praying and to pray while working. In other words, everything matters to God. Every, every moment in your life can be devoted to Him. There's not, there's not this need to, to kind of separate the, the sacred and the secular. In fact, we can't separate those things. The physical and the spiritual kind of overlap in this world, and we as believers are called to be these kind of amphibians that, that exist in both. And that was Brother, Brother Lawrence's way of living, was to demolish this idea that some things in his life were sacred and holy, and some things were just kind of normal. And so even while he was in the kitchen scrubbing pots and pans, he would say, uh, he would say even in those moments, those moments were just as, as, as full of bliss and, and, and joyful as if he were in that moment on his knees in prayer uh, in, in a quiet time with the Lord. Those things were the same for him. He, he had that, that quiet time of solitude and prayer with the Lord, but then his, what he did was he took that with him through the rest of his day, and he continued to, to practice that presence of God all day long. And he had some fantastic journal entries uh, where he describes these, these times of, of being in the busy kitchen where he's also at the same time in communion with the Lord. And he's so enthralled with God's presence. He, he's so enjoying uh, this, this presence of God. He's so filled with joy. Um, he's describing these moments where you may have even uh, experienced before, but, but we usually experience these in, in kind of special times and in special moments, like, like a, a prayer and worship night. These, these moments where, where your, your, your heart can just kind of bubble up in, in, in worship. Maybe you've experienced these special moments in like a, a conference or a retreat. Uh, or maybe you've, you've been standing on, the, on a beach and watched the sunset. And you've just been blown away by God's glory and you, you just kind of burst into worship. He's writing of, of those experiences of, of, of pure bliss and worship and joy. But for him, that would be happening in the middle of the chaotic kitchen. Pots and pans clankering about. It's noisy and it's busy and it's just ordinary. But he's in a time of, of bliss in God's presence. And he would even write about having to kind of cover this up, to cover up his, his facial expressions and his, his kind of physical um, uh, facial expressions because people would think he's a madman. Like he's, 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 he's having to restrain the delight on his face uh, because who in their right mind would experience this kind of joy and bliss while, while doing dishes and, and just kind of making soup? But for him, he no longer thought of his life as kind of bifurcated into the, the sacred and the secular. For him, all of life was spent dwelling in the presence of God and enjoying Him. And I want you to realize that that's available for everyone. Every single Christian, because they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, you have the capacity to live like that. It's open and it's available to you. It's not something uh, you, you learn overnight. Uh, it's a lifelong endeavor. Brother Lawrence was in his 50s when he, when he kind of started to get this, uh, which I love. I think it kind of shows you it's never too late. Um, and also, it's just a lifelong endeavor. It's a slow learning process. Um, because we're talking about having a relationship with someone. But this person also happens to be God. But like any relationship, intimacy and, and growing closer, it, it takes time, doesn't it? 
It, it, takes, it takes work. It takes awkward moments and awkward silences, and, but it's so, so worth it. And it's possible. Um, I hate to tell you that there's no magical formula. Um, in a lot of ways, it'd be easier if there was. We like a, give me a 12-step plan for learning to abide in Jesus. That's not how relationship, relationships work. It takes time. There, there's learning involved. There's, there's going to be failure involved. There's no formula for walking with God. And there are some essentials. There are some essential elements that, that will be part of everyone's abiding in Jesus. And we'll get to some of those things. But there's no magical formula. Take these 12 steps and then you'll have it mastered for the rest of your life. And there, there's, there's a lot of practices. There, there's, there's many habits. There's a, a plethora of methods and, and kind of ways of drawing near to God. But before we start to touch on any of them, it's essential that you know this. That there's one thing that they all have in common. Every single one goes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way. He makes, his, uh, he makes it very clear that a relationship with him is the only point of entry into this life with God. Go read John chapter 10 or John 14. There's no other way of, of entering in and enjoying this, this presence of God except through Jesus. And that's your starting point. Um, do you see what we're talking about again? I'm talking about Grace. We're talking about your entry into this life, into the presence of God. It's a gift. It's not something that you can earn. Your access to God is about what Jesus has done for you. It's about what he has accomplished on your behalf on his death on the cross. Your access to God has nothing to do with your pious life. It has nothing to do with, with these holy habits that you incorporate into your days. None of those things will ever gain you any favor or any access to God. There's only one way to gain access and favor, and it's through Jesus. Receive that gift from Jesus. So I want to make that very clear, that this way of life, this way of practicing the presence of God, we're not talking about it about about it being the way that you gain access into God's presence. That's only gained through Jesus. We're talking about it as the way we now enjoy that, that access. The way that you continually uh, be aware of, of that access and that presence in your life. It's essential that you understand that. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be uh, worn out from the pressure of performing. And if you, if you misunderstand and think that this life of practicing the presence of God has anything to do with you gaining access to Him, if, if you think it has anything to do with, with you getting Him to love you anymore or being more pleased with you, you are absolutely going to crash and burn. But if you realize that it's actually about you simply responding to what He has done for you, it's, a, it's about celebrating and enjoying this gift, this access that he has freely given to you. Then, then it will bring freedom and joy unspeakable. Um, turn over your Bibles to John 15. Um, some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, he's just now starting. Um, I'm not, I'm actually coming to a close. So um, John 15, 
Um, I just want to kind of finish by looking to Jesus and, and seeing what he says about all of this. Take a wee drink. Um, the entire Bible is full of, of, of imagery about how we live in God's presence. Um, but John 15 is, is probably the most famous and probably the most uh, kind of direct. Uh, it's just kind of straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. So um, just a bit of background of this text. Jesus has gathered his disciples uh, one last time. He has some important things to say to them uh, before he's crucified. So uh, just after this time together, um, he's going to essentially stand up, make his way to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed and, ar- and arrested. Um, and he's telling them that he's about to leave them, which would be difficult, which would be kind of confusing for them to hear because uh, when they read the, the, the Hebrew Bible, it says the Messiah is going to kind of reign forever, right? Um, so it's confusing, but he tells them that uh, he's, he's about to leave them, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit uh, and he will never leave them. His presence will be constant for them. Um, he actually tells them that this is the, the better option for them. It's better that, that he leave um, for a period so that the Holy Spirit can come and then, then they'll have constant access, constant guidance, constant comfort from the Holy Spirit. Um, he tells them that he's only leaving for a, for a period. Uh, he's going to go prepare a place for them and then he'll return again. So that's the context Uh, of this and then he says this in chapter 15 verse 1 and then we'll skip to 4 and 5 he says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser the gardener uh, verse 4 abide in me and I in you so that, that word means remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, so there were a lot of things that Jesus' disciples were confused about um, and, and, and didn't quite understand just yet, especially during these final few days. Um, so Jesus uses this imagery of a vine to get his point across to them because he knew they would get this. Um, because any Jew, um, which Jesus and his disciples were, they knew that any reference to a vine was a reference to the nation of Israel. That, that's like Hebrew Bible 101. Anytime a vine is mentioned, you know you're supposed to, you know that person is referring to Israel. Um, and, and their minds would immediately go to Genesis 12, where God made this covenant with Abraham. Uh, that, that he would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation of people and he would use them to bless the whole world. It would actually be through this family line that God would, uh, God would be revealed to the rest of the world. Um, and, and when you keep reading in the, the Old Testament story, you see God kept his end of that, that covenant. Um, so, so you see God grew Abraham's family into this nation of Israel He planted them in this beautiful land, uh, providing them with everything they need and cultivating them by uh, by his law and with tangible reminders of his presence. So do you see how God is the the gardener growing this vine? And and, and really the promises of Abraham were were almost realized. But we read that 
uh, they were selfish. <laughs> they, they were sinful. And because of their selfishness, the people of Israel failed in their role as the vine and they split into two. Uh, so the prophet Hosea said that Israel had become a worthless vine uh, because, it brought more because it brought its blessings only to itself. And the more fruit uh, it increased, uh, there were more altars uh, to worship other gods. Jeremiah said the vine had grown corrupt and wild. Ezekiel said the vine branches weren't even good for, for making firewood. Um, so this vine imagery was, was clear and it was meaningful to these disciples, uh, but not in a positive way. It, it reminded them of, of Israel's failure to be the vine that God wanted them to be. It reminded them that, that of that covenant that God made with Abraham, that God was faithful to his part, but Israel was not. Israel failed. They, they were selfish. They were this corrupt vine. Which is why in verse 1, Jesus starts by saying, I am the true vine. I am the, the true vine. I'm the genuine vine. I am the vine that, that's going to be faithful in this role of the vine. And do you see how he's, he's contrasting here? He's contrasting the, the unfaithful vine that Israel had become, which kept its blessings for itself and, and dishonored God. And he's contrasting that with himself, the true vine, who would, who would be faithful and, and trustworthy and, and, and strong enough to provide them with everything they needed to bear fruit. So you see, God still has, his plan is still to bless the world through a vine that, that spreads its branches wide, but he's just using a, he's just using a new rootstock. So, so, and Jesus says, that's me. I, I am the, the true vine. It, it will be through me that God will bless the world through those that are connected to me. And so his followers who stay connected to him will then also be able to be faithful and also be able to bear fruit. So in this new situation, Jesus is the vine and God's people are, are just the branches. We, we are the branches whose only job is to stay connected to the vine. Our only job is to never leave the vine, to constantly draw health and energy from the vine. And again, Jesus says, this is really your only option if you want to be with God. This is really your only option if you want to remain faithful, if you want to bear fruit and stay connected to me. You can either abide in me and bear fruit and bless the world, or you can kind of cut yourself off and wither and die. So there's really only one way, there's one option if we want to bear fruit, but there's so much more that you see in this in this passage. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, this is the only option, deal with it, it's your choice. No, because he doesn't stop there. He continues because not only does he want you to see this is the only option, he wants you to see just how amazing an option it is. And he does that in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It may be complete. It may be filled up. And that shows you Jesus' heart behind, uh, behind him urging them to stay connected to the vine. He's not this kind of frustrated parent, this frustrating leader saying, well, you guys screwed up, so I guess I have to come in, just stay by my side. No, he's actually concerned for their joy. 
He's saying, I'm introducing this new way of life where it's no longer up to you to conjure up your own faithfulness. It's no longer up to you to produce your own fruit. In this new way, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to be the one that does that because I'm going to be the one that supplies you the power. I'll give you the, the, what you need to produce fruit. All you need to do is be with me. Just remain with me. That's it. He's just saying, come to me and stay here. Abide with me. Remain in my love, and I'll give you everything you need, including joy that's unspeakable. Do you see that abiding in Jesus, practicing the presence of God moment by moment, that's not only the, the only way to accomplish God's will for you, which is that you would produce fruit and bless the world, it's also the only way for you to truly get what you want out of life. It's the only way to joy to the full. And just as we draw to a close, um, I also want you to see that abiding in Jesus, um, it's also the only way for you to be who you were created to be. Um, because all this talk of, of Jesus is about vines and, and flourishing and, and bearing fruit. I think it's also meant to, to bring your mind back to a garden. Um, I, I think we're meant to think back to Genesis 1 as well. When God was speaking creation into being, there, were, there was vegetation sprouting up and, and living creatures being brought forth and fish and sea creatures swarming about. And his, his command at that time for creation was multiply, bear fruit, which is also his very first command to humans. Um, in Genesis 1.27, God creates man in his image, male and female, he creates them. And then he blesses them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. That, that's, that's what you were created for. That's what your original purpose is, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. And the Bible's full of people who seem to experience God's presence deeply, uh, who, who are, like walk with the Lord closely. And we'll look at some of those people next week. But really, there's, there's really only two humans besides Jesus ever to enjoy perfect, unbroken fellowship with their maker here on earth. And that's Adam and Eve in the garden. They, so they were, they were created into this sinless experience and relationship with God. We see in Genesis 3 that they, they knew God so well that they recognized the sound of him walking through the garden. Uh, which in Genesis 3 became terrifying for them after they sinned. But before that, it must have been the best sound of their day. It must have been the thing that, that really got their hearts pumping. They, they, they walked with, they, they knew God personally. They knew him intimately and continually and joyfully without any barrier to sin at all. How amazing must that have been? But that's also what you were created for as well. You were created to be in constant communion with Him. You were created to be fruitful and to multiply and to be full of joy. And now Jesus is saying, all the way in John 15, there's a way back into that. There's a way back into that, and it's me. It's through me. It's by remaining in me. It's by staying connected to me. What beautiful imagery Jesus uses to make this pretty simple. 
It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly profound. It's incredibly life-changing. But in a lot of ways, it's incredibly simple. We are only branches. We must abide in the vine, Jesus. We must stay connected to him. We must remain with him and abide in his love. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just in, in, in kind of quiet times in your day, dwell there continually. And brother or sister, this life of abiding in Christ, of, of dwelling in his love and, and practicing his presence, it's available to you. The bottom line is that, that Christians, life with Christ and life in Christ is how we must live as Christians. But not only that, it's how we should want to live. Um, we can run ourselves ragged, can't we? We can, we can become exhausted uh, when we don't live this way. Um, does anyone feel worn out? Do, do you feel just exhausted? Do you feel like you're in the middle of a desert parched? Well, here Jesus lovingly and gently say again, child, apart from me, you can do nothing. Hear his invitation again when he says, come to me if you're weary and if you're heavy laden and I'll give you rest for your soul. Hear his invitation again to, to remain with him. To, to, to stay there, and he says, I'll give you joy to the full. You just have to remain with me. Um, may the Lord help us. May he give us a, the desire uh, to abide with him. Uh, may he give us the vision uh, to abide with him every step of the way.